Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Oh, sleeping. How's everybody doing? Well, good. Well, we are going to get ready to stand here in a few minutes and read. But before I do that, I just want to say thank you all so very much for your great love and concern for me. Um, and I'm, I'm getting ready to share a joke, but I'm also very serious in what I'm saying. Um, no, I, I can't tell you. Last week, Christy and I had the great privilege to go to Mexico, where the church that I pastored and where we served and helped plant, ordained uh, the next pastor. And it was passing the baton, literally. And it was amazing. And uh, just so very excited. And I know many of you all prayed for us. So thank you so much. Um, but the reason I know you guys prayed for me is Friday, I did not have my cell phone with me for about five hours all morning long, and I was busy working out in the yard, and Friday is my day off. I mean, I literally disconnect, and I don't do anything hardly ever with work at all, unless someone has passed away or the building is on fire. I don't do church stuff on Friday. So if you ever want to get together with me for questions and counseling and church stuff or meetings, it ain't happening on Friday. So it's just, and I love you guys so very much, but Friday is when I really try to disconnect. But on my phone, when I picked up my phone at about noon, I had about 20 missed calls, a bunch of messages from numbers I recognized and numbers I didn't recognize, and about 10 text messages all saying, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm here. I'm ready to help. An email went out, and it wasn't from me. It wasn't even my email address, but it did have the picture on, my, on our church website of me asking for many of you to buy gift cards and to scratch the scratchy off and take a picture of it and send it to me. And uh, that was not me. Um, but anyway, so if you got the email, please delete it. If you ever get an email like that from me, don't believe it because I'm never going to do that, okay? So, but, but in all seriousness, I do want to say thank you just for your concern. I mean, because tons of you guys called and were really concerned about me about what was going on and about my email getting hacked. But praise the Lord, my email was not hacked. It was just a very phony address. But thank you for loving me. <laughs> over the past two weeks and today, we've been going over, it's a very short sermon series on lament, on grief, on loss. And two weeks ago, we talked about the winter seasons, not just of life as we get older, but we all go through those times of the winter where it feels like we're in a desert we're in a valley of despair. Samuel mentioned that during our call to altar time and our time of prayer, where we really are in loss, suffering, trials. Last week, Chris spoke a whole lot about letting go of the past, in particular our sin and confession and releasing and giving up our sin. And today we're going to talk about grief, letting go of grief. And we're going to read a passage, a very confusing passage, but it's when Abraham grieved over the loss of his wife, Sarah. So that's what we're going to talk about. And there's a couple things I just want to hit on because as we've gone through this sermon, it's been really heavy on my heart a lot, this sermon series, because we all suffer loss. But I said this two weeks ago, and I want to say it again. The sermon today is not a get over it sermon and move on. I do not want you to hear, just pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps and get to work. The last thing I want any of us to hear today is why are you complaining others have it far worse than you do? I also know, and there's bumper stickers, and I've been told this numerous times, I've been guilty of even saying this when people suffer grief and loss. When Jesus loves you, it will all turn out for the best. Or all things work together for good. 
or God has great plans for you, those are all true. But many times when we go through suffering and loss, that's the last thing we actually need to hear. We do need to be reminded. But as brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to grieve in a healthy way. And we also need to learn and walk with those who are lamenting and in grief in a healthy, positive way. And one of the images I have this morning with this sermon is the four friends who are carrying the paralytic to Jesus' feet. There are times when we are the paralytic and we need our brothers and sisters to carry us to Jesus' feet. And there are also times when we are the friend and we don't need to say a thing, but we need to carry our friends to the feet of Jesus and let him do the healing and the strength and the comfort. There are many of y'all some of you right now grieving the loss of loved ones. In Mexico, our home church, they lost three pillars of the faith in their congregation this year. All senior adults, but all tragic losses and death, sudden deaths. And they're grieving. We all grieve. So how do we grieve and suffer in a healthy, good way? Before we continue, i got a funny story to share but I also have a very important announcement to share. And it goes into line with this sermon. Uh, two weeks ago, Mel and I meet every single Tuesday. And we meet on Tuesdays to plan the services, the worship and everything. And Mel and I, we, we have a great time. And Mel and I have been on staff together for four plus years. And it's been an incredible relationship, friendship. Um, when Christy and I met both her and Dick, uh, four and a half years ago, we ate, ate tacos together, and I knew immediately God was leading her to be our worship leader, and it's been awesome. But Mel shared with me about two weeks ago that she feels like she's been praying a lot about it for a while, and Concerned Women for America as a national ministry here in the United States. And she, after a lot of prayer and a lot of discussion, the Lord is leading her to step down as our worship leader here at the end of this year, and to work and serve with Concerned Women for America. And we will celebrate and recognize Mel and Dick later on in December. But I wanted to let you know, one, so we can thank you so very much. And we will thank you later on. But also, two, please be praying for Mel. As she and Dick are transitioning into a new chapter of their life and their ministry. And you will be dearly missed. And uh, as our worship leader, as a dear friend, and I've told you a lot already. But we will celebrate Mel, her life, her ministry. So much of who we are as a church and as a congregation is because of what God has done in and through Mel as our worship leader. And I've always told Mel this. She is truly a pastor and minister who just happens to lead worship. And that's a huge compliment because you're an excellent worship minister. So thank you. But that is... And I wanted to share that today because of grief, because grief is just not grieving over the loss of a loved one who passes away, but it's grieving the loss of jobs, careers, finances, friendships, health. We all are grieving. We all will grieve, and we'll grieve in different ways and because of different things. And so I told Mel a couple weeks ago, I want to do it on this day. So Mel, we bless you and we thank you so very much. With that, let's stand. 
Genesis chapter 23. And you'll have to forgive me if we go up and down with a whole lot of emotion today. Genesis 23. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. And like I said, we're going to read this chapter. is very strange and very unique, but it's extremely important. It'll be up on the screen or if you want to open up your Bibles. Genesis chapter 23, verse 1. Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were all the years of her life. Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham got up from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. I am an alien residing among you. Give me burial property among you so that I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Listen to us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in our finest burial place. None of us will withhold from you his burial place for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down to the Hittites, the people of the land. He said to them, If you are willing for me to bury my dead, listen to me and ask Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, to give me the cave of Machpelah that belongs to him. It is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me in your presence for the full price as the burial property. Ephron was sitting among the Hethites. So in the hearing of all the Hethites who came to the gate of his city, Ephron the Hethite answered Abraham, No, my lord, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the sight of my people. Bury your dead. Abraham bowed down to the people of the land and said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, Listen to me. If you please, let me pay the price of the field. Accept it from me and let me bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham and said to him, My Lord, listen to me. Land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed with Ephron and Abraham weighed out, weighed out to Ephron the silver that he had agreed to in the hearing of the Hethites. 400, 400 standard shekels of silver. Zephron's field at Machpelah near Mamre, the field within its cave and all the trees anywhere within the boundaries of the field became Abraham's possession in the sight of all the Hethites who came to the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave of the field at Machpelah near Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field with its cave passed on from the Hethites to Abraham as a burial property. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for this incredible day. Jesus, we thank you that your word, Father, your word is living and it's active. It is inspired by you. And it is, I can't think of the word, but it is worthy to be honored and surrendered that we would obey it and follow it. Your word is like a two-edged sword. It's like fire. So, Father, may you burn within our hearts and our minds, open the eyes of our hearts to understand your word. Father, give me your words and nothing else and bring in great encouragement to people today. For those of us who are grieving, may you comfort us and strengthen us. Jesus, may our eyes be fixed upon you. Father, may you bring incredible encouragement and conviction, strength through your living word that as we read it, as we meditate upon your written word, 
May we encounter the incarnate word, Jesus himself. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, when we were still in Mexico, Christy and I, we fell in love with a man named Gary Smalley. And he was real popular back in the 80s and early 90s, counseling and family and marriage. And in one of his teachings, he and his team did this huge encuesta, this huge survey about families and family unity. And they found in all their studies that the families that felt most unified as a family had one thing in common. And I've shared this before, so we'll see if you guys have been paying attention over the years. What is that one thing in common of the hundreds of families that they surveyed and the ones that were most unified and connected to each other as a family? What was that one thing in common? Does anybody know? Camping. Who said that? Jessica. You went last weekend. Excellent. Good. Look at putting into practice. Why camping? Who likes to camp? And I'm not talking about glamping. I'm talking about camping. I mean, hardcore. Oh, you guys, come on now. Camping, not glamping, but camping. And what they found was is that when you camp, almost anything and everything will go wrong. Sleeping on roots or rocks, thunderstorms, too hot, too cold. Anything and everything will go wrong. But as families would suffer through camping together, the Lord used it to draw them together in relationship. Christy and I, we love to camp. Now, I will hem and haul and whine and complain the whole way going out. And at the end, when we're driving back, it's like, man, we need to do this more often. <laughs> two years ago, two summers ago, we, we went rustic camping here. We went to Fall Creek Falls, parked in the parking lot, and then had to hike in about a half mile. Now, we rustic camp, but we still take about 10 tuppers and 10 bags you know, gas stove, the whole tables that you fold out. So we really don't suffer that much. But Eric, Samuel, Margie, Christy, and myself, back and forth that half mile, lugging all of our stuff in. And I complained inside the whole time. I hope I didn't bleed any of that complaining out to you boys. I did lose 10 pounds that weekend. <laughs> but as we were lugging everything in and then lugging everything out, even though it was hard and challenging and difficult and it wasn't all perfect. One of our little nephews burned his finger because he's a pyromaniac and you know, he played in the fire. We still had an incredible time. And we just read this passage here in Genesis chapter 23. And this chapter here, it might seem really strange, really weird, all this back and forth and back and forth. And in this nomadic Bedouin culture, shame and honor were such an important thing. And so that's why Abraham with the Hethites and then with Ephron are going back and forth and back and forth because they don't want to shame each other. And they also don't want to be shamed. And I don't know all the interactions with it. And we're going to look at it briefly. But before we look at this passage, we need to talk a little bit about Abraham and Sarah. It's so easy to read scriptures and I know many times for me, like reading chapter 23, I'm like, man, why? how is this inspired? I mean, this back and forth with Ephron and Abraham, and it, you know, okay, yeah, whatever, Sarah died. But there's powerful things out of this passage here that we can take and learn and see how God is working sovereignly in his promises to Abraham. But Abraham here also teaches us how to grieve and let go 
of our grief in a godly, humble, healthy way. Abraham and Sarah, there's several things we need to discuss. When we see them in Scripture, Abraham is 75 years old. Genesis chapter 12. Sarah is 65. That's when we meet them. Sarah was 127 when she passed away. So from age 65 to 127, how old is that? How many years? 62? Now let's just pretend back in their culture, Sarah was 15 when she married Abraham and he was 25. So how long did they live together as a married couple? A long time. You must have gotten A's in math, right? <laughs> Think about that. My parents celebrated 53 years of marriage before my dad passed away last Thanksgiving. And I watched their love for each other. I watched my mom through sickness and more sickness, nine years of Parkinson's, love and serve my dad. I watched some of our dear legacy members here who've been married for 60 plus years and their love for each other. I've seen Vera love Michael. And I sit there and think about Abraham and Sarah from the time that she was 15, he was 25-ish around then, up until she was 127 years. And they camped that whole time. They did. Is that not true? They had to travel 1,500 miles from where they originally were living all the way to the land of Canaan. They left everything. Family, culture, friends, customs. They camped. For her, if she died at age 27 and was married at age 15, that is 112 years as a nomad. Think about that relationship. They were called to go west and leave everything, 1,500 miles of traveling. They were nomads their entire life with no real home, no security, living in a foreign land, no land. We meet up when Jesus, well, not Jesus, when, when God promises Abraham that he'll have descendants and land. He'll have multitudes following him, and they're childless. And when God gave the promise to both Abraham and Sarah, it was 25 years later before that promise was fulfilled. Okay, those are just those 25 years. What about all the decades beforehand when she was supposed to get pregnant and she never did? And back in that culture, if you didn't have children, you were considered cursed by God. Think of all that deferred hope. Think of the lack of security because their social security back then was not in the banks, but it was their children and grandchildren who would take care of them once they got too old. So think about what they had to struggle through. If you read from Genesis chapter 12 all the way through to 36, you will see the famines they had to go through, the trials they had they encountered when they had to go to Egypt because of the famines. Their nephew Lot went with them, and they had to save him because he was captured. They had to deal with Hagar, who was Abraham's servant woman. Actually, she was the servant of Sarah, and because Sarah couldn't get pregnant, Sarah suggested to Abraham, here, just sleep with my servant girl so I can have descendants and have children through her. 
and that incredible conflict that went on. God changed Sarah's name from Sarai, which is how you say it in Spanish, to Sara, which means princess. And when God showed up and said that she would have a son, she laughed. And then she got in an argument with God. When God said, why is Sarah laughing? I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Sound like a little kid argument. Could you imagine the, rather the courage, boldness, or stupidity that Sarah had to argue with God? Think about it. Think about all the trials and tribulations that she and Abraham had to go through. They had to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah and their destruction when their nephew Lot was living there. Both in Egypt and then with another king named Abimelech, when they traveled to those foreign countries, Abraham told Sarah, I'm going to tell you that you're my sister because I'm afraid that they'll kill me because you're so good looking. Technically, Sarah was Abraham's half-sister, but she went along with the lie and deceit. And that caused problems both with Pharaoh in Egypt and King Abimelech. Think of how she felt, felt betrayed by Abraham. Think about this too when she finally has a son in her old age. And when Isaac is 13 years old, God tells Abraham that he needs to sacrifice their only son. Could you imagine that conversation at the kitchen table? And yet through it all, both Abraham and Sarah learned to live by faith and all the promises that God gave them. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11 and 12, it'll be up on the screen. Hebrews 11 and 11, 12, this is what the author of Hebrews says about Sarah. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. For all the thick and thin and troubles and trials and tribulations and threats, division, arguments, 60-something years, no, 100-something years of camping with a husband who at times was pig-headed, hard-headed, self-centered, selfish. And yet she found strength and power because she considered the one who had power, the power to fulfill his promises, even though she argued with him at the beginning. It also says in First Peter, no, sorry, Hebrews 11, verse 13. And this should be an encouragement to all of us, especially when we don't see God's promises being fulfilled. But look what this author says. These all died in faith, Sarah being one of them, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Many of us here are not from the United States. Many of us here have lived or have visited other countries. And you know what it's like to be a foreigner. Sarah and Abraham traveled 1,500 years 
They lived together as a married couple for over 100 years, most likely. All the trials and tribulations and sadnesses and joys they experienced together as a couple. Think about what was their relationship like? What would, how would you describe their marriage? How would you describe the love that Abraham had for Sarah and that Sarah had for Abraham? How would you describe it? Think about it. Because when I read Genesis 23, it's so easy to be like, oh, that's weird. Why all the back and forth? But there's a couple things really quick. Here in Genesis 23, we're not going to read the whole thing again. But verse 3, Then Abraham got up from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. Sarah dies. And Abraham is there with her, weeping and crying and grieving for his lost, beloved bride of over 100 years. He's a foreigner. He doesn't own any property in that land. And it says he gets up and he goes to the people of that land and he asks to be able to bury his dear wife. And then there's this big back and forth about you can bury your wife wherever you want. Go ahead. Don't worry. Please do. But that whole honor and shame, not wanting to dishonor anybody, wanting to honor. And Abraham, he knows what he wants. And it says a couple different times that he bows down to the Hittites in front of them all. Bowing down, bowing the knee. I'll be honest with you, there's times in worship here, I haven't done it yet, where I want to get on my knees right there, but I'm too embarrassed. When we bow before people, we're humbling ourselves. And here Abraham is, he's humbling himself before the Hittites. And you've read it, we've read it, they go back and forth. Ephron, he wants the land, the field where there's a cave. And remember, he's in a foreign land. He's probably learned their customs already. And it doesn't say here, but 400 shekels of silver was an exorbitant price. He was taken advantage of. And yet he was willing to pay it. He was willing to ceremonialize his wife and bury her and deal with the grief in a healthy, honest, God-fearing, humble way. As human beings, when we go through grief, many times we want to stuff it. We don't want to deal with it. When Christy and I were in Mexico last week, one of my dearest friends, in fact, his wife was the first adult Christian in the neighborhood where we were serving. She passed away two years ago, November 14th. She had diabetes one, and while we were living in Mexico, she almost passed away a dozen times. She passed away two years ago, and as we sat with Carla, one of my dearest friends, He's still, and he should be struggling, but he told us he can't overcome his grief. They're married for 47 years. His son came to me the day we left asking for prayer, and his son is not walking with the Lord because he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to deal with the hole that he feels in his heart for having lost his mom two years ago. And one of his sisters told me that, yeah, he's just trying to stuff it. He doesn't know how to deal with it. He's just trying to forget it. And many times when we go through grief and we go through loss, we don't want to deal with the pain, and so we try to just stuff it. And we need to look at how Abraham did it because there's so many things here that Abraham shows us about how to really deal with grief and loss. Here's a couple of them. Abraham is grieving the loss of his wife. 
And he honors her and her life and her memory by finding a place to bury her body. It's called ceremonialize. It's to put it in front of you and deal with it. Don't ignore it. Don't try to talk around it or avoid it. Deal with it. Abraham shows us the importance of truly grieving in a proper way. And as he was deeply grieved, and this is one of the keys for all of us, humility. I don't think it's an accident. It's a diocidencia that it says he bowed down. It says it twice. He bowed down. We need to be humble enough in our grief. And as Samuel said in the call, in the altar call, we come before Jesus' feet and we say, here I am. And be honest. I don't like it. It hurts. Why? My former secretary in Mexico, she's a 40-year-old single mother. Her husband left her when she was pregnant with her only son who is now nine years old. She has cancer. It's metastasized in all of her bones. And I asked her on Friday night, I said, so how are you doing? Because we went to her house. And she just started weeping. And she stopped. And she says, I'm so angry at God. And the Christian part of me wanted to give her all the right answers. But that's not the time or place to tell dear Jessica, God is good. And we prayed for her. And her parents were there. And we all hugged and cried as we left. And unless Jesus decides to come and touch her powerfully, man. But she's willing to walk in it because I also see her post on a, on a prayer chain that we have where she clings very hard to Jesus, walking in love and humility, giving her anger to him. The last thing Abraham shows us is he is remembering and honoring his wife. Something else God is doing here that Abraham doesn't show us, even though Abraham is doing it. Thirty-something years before Sarah died, God promised Abraham that all the land he walked would be his. He lived in Cana for decades, didn't own a single metro cuadrado, square foot, square meter of property. Yet God worked through the death of, death of his wife. He bought that field with that cave and God was beginning in a sovereign, powerful way to fulfill his promise of land. See, even in the darkest, most difficult times, God works powerfully for his will to be done. Many times we're not even aware he's doing it. So what does this mean for us in grief? What does this mean? And we're going to go pretty quick, but I'm going to read several things. Some of it will be on screen. Grief is a common human experience. At any given time, almost everyone is grieving. We grieve the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job or a career, Divorce, finances, relationships, loss of health or loss of hopes and dreams. Those are all the ways and the many more that we grieve. 
No one grieves the same. Grief is not a singular emotion. It's not just sadness or guilt or shame or anger or anxiety. It could be all of those things plus much more all blended and mixed up. The acute stage of grief is usually the first six months after the loss. That's when it's the strongest and most powerful. Grief and depression can be present at the same time, but need to be dealt with distinctly and differently. There are no shortcuts to grief. No shortcuts to grief. Grief must be lived through. And if grief is short-circuited, it will manifest itself at some other point in time. So if you're grieving a loss, it's best to walk in it and through it, but not alone. The best way to deal with grief is group therapy. We need one another. For some of us, we need professional therapy, professional group therapy. But we all need the body of Christ. As I said earlier, There'll be a time and day when we're the paralytic and we need our friends to walk us to the feet of Jesus. And there'll be other times when you're the friend walking and carrying someone to the feet of Jesus. The best way to process grief for the long term is to discover meaning in the midst of loss. It's taken, it's been five years since we moved back from Mexico and it's taken five years to grieve that loss. And last weekend when we were there, I'm so glad I don't live there, even though I miss it, to see what God is doing in our church despite all the suffering and pain. Christy and I left Fresno just rejoicing for how God is working and moving. There's a part of me that would long to be there. That It's been a grief. And it's so important to walk through it and process it with others and to find meaning. On the mental health side of grief, normal grief includes lack of sleep, loss of appetite, confused thinking, forgetfulness, lack of focus, fatigue, just a loss of interest in normal activities. And these things all can be all mixed up within usually the first couple years of grief. The stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining with God or others, depression, acceptance, and even a desire to isolate. And these feelings of grief within grief, they're not linear. It's not first denial, then anger, then bargaining. It could be a mumble-jumble mix. It could be very cyclical. So what do we do? I want to encourage you, first and foremost, we need to follow Abraham's example to grieve well, to give ourselves permission to grieve, and to walk in humility and trust in the Lord. Not yet, Chris. Sorry. Number two is I want to encourage you, if you are grieving, recognize it and don't stuff it. Number three, recognize the greatness, the power, humility, and meekness of Jesus when you grieve. 
If you don't haven't memorized the Bible verse, here's one for you. It's real easy. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. He stood at the grave of Lazarus and he wept. When we grieve and we weep, he weeps with us. Many of you I see are writing things down. I want you to write these verses down. Hebrews chapter 2, 17 and 18. It's one of my most best favorite verses in all of Scripture. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of his people. Let's stop right there. Sorry, Chris, let's go back. He was made like us in how many ways? And now you can go ahead and come on up if you want. For In every way. Jesus was made like us in every way. And the promise in verse 18, the next verse, Chris, for since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he was able to help those who are tempted. Two chapters later in Hebrews chapter 4, it says something very similar. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold what? Hold fast to the confession of our faith. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been attempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And not just tempted to sin, but tempted to unbelief. Unbelief in God's promises, unbelief in God's faithfulness, unbelief in God's goodness, unbelief in God's faithfulness and sovereignty. So to close, there's a couple things I want us to do. First, I want us to stand up. Let's all stand. And if you're going through grief, the first thing I want you to do is give yourself permission to grieve. It's okay. It is okay to grieve. I know I put there's a lot of stuff on the slides. And it's really important that when we go through grief, we understand the cycles of grief and the emotions that go with it. The third thing is we need to seek proper help for grief. For some of us, it is professional counseling. It's groups group therapy. I've been, I've grieved in the past and I've wanted to be all alone and that's one of the worst things we can do when we go through grief is to isolate ourselves. We need the body. We need one another. I also want to encourage you to be patient with yourself. Be patient with others and allow Jesus to bring meaning, healing, comfort, and strength as you patiently walk through grief. And finally, run, rest, and renew yourself, your heart, your mind, in the presence of Jesus. May your eyes be fixed upon him. Let's pray. Just take a moment, smell plays, just to listen to the Holy Spirit. How is God speaking to you this morning?
encourage you, acknowledge your reality to Jesus now. Surrender it to him. And Jesus says, our dear, good and great shepherd, the healer of our souls, I thank you, you know us better than we know ourselves. So minister now, Holy Spirit, to everyone here. Bring your strength and your comfort, your healing, conviction, conviction, 